Hi, and welcome back to this week's episode on Amplify. My name is Sanchi Singh, and this week I'm looking at India's waste pickers. India generates 62 million tons of waste annually, and in the chain of solid waste management, waste begins its journey from bins of high-income homes, is often sent to transfer stations, and ends up in landfill sites. However, in this entire journey, neither the households nor the municipal corporations actively segregate the waste. In some cases, the aim is for the solid waste to end up in a waste energy plant. But in most cases, waste piles up high in landfills, eventually discharging poisonous gases into the air and soil. Despite widespread societal apathy and public funds that are spent on transportation of waste as opposed to its proper disposal, India has one of the best recycling rates in the world, where nearly 70% of all PET bottles are recycled in comparison to 31% in the USA. You might be wondering why. Well, this is largely owing to the informal chain of recycling, a chain comprising of 1.5 to 4 million waste pickers who pick up, clean, sort and segregate recyclable waste to sell it further up the value chain to scrap dealers. An informal sector that contributes to 100% of all recycling done in our country. In this episode, we talk about our waste pickers, the precarious work that they do that goes unrecognized due to the space they occupy in society, hailing often from marginalized communities, and the work we need to do to close the loop on what we throw out. This week's episode on Amplify. Today I'm speaking to Rahul Nanani, who is the founder of Radhi Connect. Radhi Connect is a resource recovery social enterprise that works with multiple stakeholders like governments, brands, informal sector, consumers, etc., to divert waste away from landfills and oceans and into the economy to get reused, recycled, and repurposed. And I'm so excited to have you on here to talk all things trash, essentially. Thank you so much for finding time for this, Rahul. Thank you so much, Sanchi, for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. No problem. It's my pleasure too. I think sort of just to give a little bit of context to what Raddi is and, and what Raddiwalas do, can you just sort of talk about the role they play in managing waste in households in India? Sure. So the term Raddi is essentially like a slang word for recyclable scrap that is used uh, mainly in, I think, Western parts of India. And uh, Radhiwalas are essentially a part of this entire shadow network of uh, the supply chain of waste that is essentially going around. So the Radhiwalas are essentially small-scale micro-entrepreneurs who have uh, shops in uh, popular residential areas, and they essentially trade on recyclable scrap. So they essentially get more scrap from households, offices, institutions, where uh, they go out and purchase this waste, bring it to their store, probably sort it out a little bit further, and uh, essentially forward that to relevant recyclers or relevant wholesalers for further processing. The Radhiwalas actually are not just one per people in the entire supply chain, but there's an entire shadow supply chain that's been working in the background, which we essentially have no idea about. It's starts with your Radhiwala, then it goes on with your semi-wholesalers who are collecting it from there and uh, then going even in down deeper into uh, you know the recycling sector which is largely informal that is running in uh, our country. So they are essentially micro-entrepreneurs 
collecting recyclable waste and ensuring that it is being channelized for recycling that probably gives an idea yeah and in sort of the description about radhi connect you talk a bit about how important it is to tap into this informal sector and and i was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about how this inspiration for radhi connect came to you yeah i think uh, so when we started the company back in 2015 we had a, a simple idea we had an idea to to, to solve to solve a problem and uh, back then we didn't know as much about the waste sector as much as we have known in the past 5 years so it's been more of a journey for us and the inspiration has been the motivation has been coming more as more and more that we've been working in the space initially when we did start up we realized that uh, there's this large large informal sector that has been working in uh, managing waste and uh, they were la- they were very underutilized and there was a lot of issues that were being faced from the customers end and as well as from the radhiwalas end so after digging a little bit deeper we found out uh, some ironical facts we realized that uh, having grown up in bombay i've seen that there's no shortage of waste in our country there's dime a dozen i mean every every neighborhood or every street that you go down you see a lot of scrap around your household or neighborhood itself but what was ironical was that india was actually importing lots and lots of trash from uh, europe us and the middle east into to just run our recycling factories and that just sounded odd to us you know we said that uh, even though we have so much waste that we're generating ourselves but uh, we still are importing garbage from rest of the world to keep our uh, industries running so we once we digged a little deeper we found out that uh, the challenge was with the recovery of this scrap and that started with uh, with the consumers not being able to dispose their scrap properly and also the the supply chain after that which was just fragmented and it did not really you know cater to all kinds of scrap that would that it would deal with so initially it was just uh, to solve a problem where we saw that uh, recovery was a challenge and we thought that the informal sector could uh, actually play a very important role which they have been actually you know they i mean without them our situation would have been much much worse as compared to uh, where we are at right now so we thought that instead of displacing the existing informal structure why not uh, empower them and uh, bring them a part of the solution but i think actually the tipping point for me in terms of uh, the inspiration or the motivation that has come up uh, was uh, after the fire that happened in the devna dumping ground so in early 2016 if you probably remember there was this image uh, circulated by nasa where they captured uh, the fire at the devna dumping ground from space and uh, that really became a talk of the town for uh, the entire city of bombay so after a couple of weeks that the fire doused out we uh, we ventured into the neighborhood of uh, of the devna dumping ground to just figure out what exactly went down and uh, we tried to talk to a lot of uh, local people around that neighborhood and uh, when we did go down over there there were a few very surprising facts that came up one was that these fires actually is not it doesn't happen it's not a one off case where these fires actually happen but it's actually an everyday situation this particular day the reason that the city woke up was because uh, the devna dumping ground is situated in such a way where uh, they have the creek on one side and uh, and the city on the other side and uh, this particular day when the fire went out of hand the wind was blowing towards the city so which is why it went particularly to south bombay that's where the wind was blowing and everybody woke up and realized that oh my god this is a big issue but when we went down over there we realized that these fires actually happen on a daily basis 
it's just that uh, we don't realize them either they are man made fire either they either they are fires just because of methane gas being trapped or they are man made uh, to essentially reduce the amount of garbage that is there so that was one surprising thing that came up but the most surprising thing was that once we spoke to an ngo called apnale that has been working in the shivaji nagar slum area for almost a decade uh, and specifically in that neighborhood itself we realized that uh, the average life expectancy of uh, people living in and around the dumping ground these are not people that work inside the dumping ground but just living in the neighborhood was 37 years of age and uh, that just woke me up i'm like it, it's something that uh, we have this uh, secret life of trash that is happening where we essentially just keep it outside our house and it somehow disappears and it never really we never really know what happens with it but it's actually affecting people in our own city and it's happening in the center of bombay so how long is it going to take that is going to start affecting the entire city and entire country and probably that incident was something that uh, led on to me get, led on to us getting more deeper in this field and uh, realizing that we need to make a bigger impact rather than just you know collecting scrap and which is where we which is where our journey actually to evolve the business model also started yeah yeah and i think that's really interesting what you said about how it wasn't until the fact that that wind was sort of blowing in a direction where it was directly affecting wealthy residents of south mumbai that people even realized that this is a problem because if you drive around the city of mumbai you'll find lots of these various spots where rubbish is dumped and like it's piling high and and sometimes it's set on fire you know true true absolutely i think we've been uh, having this out of sight out of mind kind of mentality and uh, it's the mindset of most people where they believe that uh, you know it's just not my responsibility to do so and there'll be somebody else that will just manage it for me and for most most people like we did a survey to even find out if uh, most people even know what happens with the trash i mean most people realize that as soon as i keep it outside the door of my house or down my building the bmc picks it up and then essentially it disappears and nobody really even knows what happens with it so i mean that that story for me was something that just really uh, you know made us uh, just woke me up in a way where it made us realize that uh, it is going to affect us and we see this happening not just in bombay but we see this like uh, with the smog in delhi with uh, with the burning landfills of kolkata and hyderabad as well as the ocean throwing up plastic you know i think uh, this is something that we have been reading about and seeing in the last few years uh, all across our country as well as other parts of the world so it is affecting us yeah and and we've sort of been curiously desensitized to it right we 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 know that this is happening and we are confronted by our waste as seher mansoor of bare necessities put it which is a very apt way of putting it but we're sort of not yet taking the initiative to tackle it from an individual level and and i know that radhi connect does a lot of different things and and we can get into that but can you talk a little bit about how you know the workshops that you guys do and and sort of the public awareness initiatives that you have what what have your takeaways been from that you know what are people's perceptions to waste how do they think about it what are they doing about it are they moved to do anything about it that's a pretty interesting so uh, we've been uh... a large focus of our work actually lies in uh, creating behavior change i think if you speak to anybody in the space of managing waste i feel uh, that's a challenge that everybody faces you know i think people just creating that mindset change of people where people start res- taking responsibility of their own waste that they generate is a big task for us 
and uh, we've been working with schools with corporate offices with residential complexes and uh, the general feedback that we get is that most people think it is important they think that yes it is important for them to make sure that they are managing their waste and they should be doing their bit but uh, what most people do is that it's a very easy way to say that guys i am going to be doing my bit but uh, even though i am sorting my waste but my sweeper doesn't collect it separately or the municipality sends it in one vehicle and uh, all my work is essentially getting uh, you know there is not going to the right place it's an easy way of just shifting the blame either to the government or the organizations so i think that's the mindset of most people where they're like okay even though i'm going to do it but the, the rest of the world is not doing it or the rest of the stakeholders are not doing it then why should i do it in the first place and that's a problem i think that we need to fix i think uh, we need to not just start by managing or uh, you know sorting our own waste but also take up small steps where uh, we initiate these changes that come up from either at a policy level from the government or even from the even from the polluters themselves so like who are the people that are actually giving us these products do we not think it is a responsibility of the brands that are actually selling you these products for them to actually recover it as well so i think it needs to take one step forward where we uh, start by making sure of course do our own bit and uh, then even ask the right questions essentially that's 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 what it is right i think uh, we need to ask the right questions to the right stakeholders Yeah, definitely. And to that end, can you talk about the verticals that Radhi Connect has and how it sort of comes into this issue of managing waste and then streamlining uh, the informal sector for better waste management? Yeah, sure. So over the past uh, five years that we've been in this space, uh, we've kept uh, evolving or pivoting our business model on the basis of uh, what the consumers have been asking for us. and uh, also realizing where there is a space where we can actually add some value so we're primarily working with uh, three target audiences uh, one is uh, individuals and uh, corporate offices where uh, where they may whatever scrap that they generate so the recyclable scrap so in terms of paper plastic metal glass evas they can use our service if they are in the city of mumbai by simply coming onto our website scheduling a pickup for your recyclables how we do it is that we have an aggregated network of uh, raddiwalas that we have verified and standardized who act as a last mile collection agents and they essentially so if you place a pickup we will send the closest raddiwala in your neighborhood he is a verified guy with an electronic weighing scale id cards standardized rate card as well he comes to your place collects your scrap and ensure that it gets recycled so india and certain southeast asian countries are have this concept of getting paid to recycle which is quite odd i mean if you stayed in the us you would realize that uh, firstly sorting your waste is mandatory by law and if you don't do so you actually find over and above that whereas in india you get somebody that comes to your house and gives you money for actually sorting your waste and recycling it so we thought that uh, we can actually it's quite ironical right like if you're getting paid to do so the idea was that we start using this money for a good cause we said that uh, instead of this money being uh, so an average household generated about 100 or 150 rupees of uh, recyclable scrap in a monthly basis and in today's time is not that large an amount right it's not even a coffee at a coffee shop or even a movie ticket for that matter of fact so we had this model called recycle for cause where we essentially asked our consumers where uh, not only they recycle their waste with us and empower the bottom of the pyramid while while they are working they also can support a cause uh, of their choice by just recycling their waste 
So we had this triple bottom line that you recycle your waste with us, you empower the Radhiwala networks and support an organization of your choice. So we had four different NGOs that we are working with. So if you are an individual household or if you're a small corporate office, you can simply subscribe and get your recyclables collected. That's on one end where we are working with consumers. On the other end, we are working with municipalities to start setting up infrastructure. So the other issue that we realize is that uh, even though people want to sort their waste, uh, the sorted waste is not going to the right channel. So we are working with uh, the Mumbai municipality, BMC, and uh, we've set up our uh, first material recovery facility, which is essentially a facility where uh, once people start sorting their waste, we bring their dry waste component to our facility, where we have, uh, again, given dignified jobs to waste pickers from our neighborhood who help us manage this, uh, this waste. We bring it to our facility, sort this into about 30 plus categories, about 20 categories of plastic, six of paper, glass, metal, e-waste, and then channelize each one of them for recycling. So we have one such facility that's running in Mumbai. We have we actually had a contract with Hyderabad, which we were supposed to execute in March, but uh, COVID has postponed that essentially. So we'll have that going as soon as uh, things start to normalize. And uh, we are expanding to more cities and talking to more municipalities to manage their waste. So that's the second vertical where we're working with municipalities. And then the third is where we are actually helping brands go plastic neutral. So with the new plastic waste management rules that have been amended, there's something called uh, extended producer responsibility that's come up, which is a concept that uh, Western countries, uh, Europe and US already have, but it's uh, something that has newly come up uh, in India and which is, I think, a good step that the government is taking where they've made a responsibility of the producer of this waste. So essentially a large corporations and brands that produce this plastic to recover as much plastic that they put out in the environment. So in uh, simple language, if uh, say brand X is selling 100 bottles of plastic or say 100 bottles of cold drink, they've got to recover this 100 bottles of cold drink and like essentially make sure it's getting recycled. So uh, we work with brands, uh, we use the existing informal sector sector network that we have, our MRFs, our Adiwalas, and also partner up with local organizations in other cities and uh, recover this plastic on behalf of brands and ensure that it's getting recycled. So uh, yeah, we're currently working in about 12 cities where uh, with the help of our partners, we've recovered more than say 5,000 tons of plastic waste in the last 12 months. So yeah, I think that's the three verticals that we're in right now. Yeah, and, and one thing I found quite interesting was that you talked a bit about how there is this sort of spending or there's this investment or in how waste is sort of transported, right? But there isn't that much spending or investment, public spending, in the infrastructure that is needed to sort of move from this linear economy to a circular economy. And on top of that, we have, like you said, the problem where the, India is importing waste from other countries as well. So so can you talk about why why that's happening and, and where are we at with building this infrastructure and how, how are we going to go about it as a, as a country? Sure. So, I mean, like you rightly pointed out, I think if you just read the data, it says that we almost... So our collection efficiency is good. I think we collect almost... India collects more than 90% of the waste that we generate. And we have spent a lot of money in just collection and transportation. And uh, I guess that was the first, uh, I mean, priority for the government was that we don't have litter on our streets and streets are getting cleaner. 
and uh, which is why they have taken that approach of uh, you know making sure at least whatever is getting generated gets collected but uh, i don't think we were far far away from you know the the processing part of it and um, i say it's not just an infrastructural issue but it's also again coming back to it uh, a mindset issue you know even though we set up infrastructure but people are not segregating their waste i think uh, the infrastructure is not going to be useful at all you know it's uh, it's like a chicken and egg situation where consumers are like even if we do sort it then there's no infrastructure to manage it and if we set up infrastructure there's no waste that comes to it so i think uh, you know we need to go back yeah. to the drawing board and say that okay every all stakeholders need to start doing their own bit and there are multiple of them you know it's not just uh, the government and ebs consumers but there's also the recycling industry there's also the brands that are polluting this putting in this plastic waste or other waste in the in the ecosystem and they all need to start putting in their doing their bit infrastructure yes it's being built so like with uh, with the swachh bharat mission that's come up we're seeing that the government at least has the intention to you know ramp up their infrastructure as well as uh, build more capacities for the existing infrastructure that is there but we're still far far away i mean we can't uh, expect uh, to go zero waste i don't think that's something that we can expect but at least we need to start uh, doing our bit and uh, yes the government needs to start investing in more infrastructure as well to manage this waste yeah and quite a pressing issue in terms of the fact that cities are projected to house almost up to like 80 85 million people you know this is going to have a huge influx with people looking for more opportunities and managing that influx of people and and the waste that they generate is definitely sort of a problem that we need to be on top of or at least plan for ahead and and i think is also we've got that issue on one hand on one hand and on the other we've also got covid-19 which i'm sure is generating a lot of biomedical waste right no absolutely i think you rightly pointed out i think uh, the amount of uh, increase of waste that we're expecting in the coming few decades we are essentially going to just run out of place to keep dumping our waste i mean that problem that we spoke about not in our backyard and uh, we were just okay with it oil during this while but uh, sooner or later it's going to be in our backyards because there's not going to be enough space to just keep dumping our waste so uh, like you rightly mentioned we need to start looking at long term solutions and rather than just uh, doing some quick fixes uh, to fix the situation right now and uh, and like you mentioned yes with the covid-19 situation coming up the composition of waste is uh, certainly changing we're seeing a lot of more gloves and masks and ppe gear that's coming into our waste and i feel that it has become more important than before honestly where uh, managing our waste has become more important essentially because uh, it has the risk of actually spreading the virus you know if you are not uh, managing your uh, waste right now properly you're essentially probably causing the spread of the virus if you are infected or even if you are not you know if you are not putting in and it is this has been happening for decades what have we leave the masks and the gloves aside but what have we been doing with uh, our sanitary waste our biohazard home waste that's coming out injections and syringes that have been coming out we haven't been managing that either and 90% plus of the waste that is generated in the country is being managed by humans it's it has a human touch to it there's somebody that actually puts their hand into your waste either to sort it or either to pick you pick it up or to you know just take out whatever is recyclable from it and uh, they have been facing these consequences with our other sanitary waste or other biohazard waste that has been generated 
for decades now you know and uh, i think it's it's high time we start uh, realizing that these pandemics situations are are time to change i mean we need to make that change happen sooner than later or it's only just going to get worse yeah and like you said that a lot of people who actually have to deal with our waste problem if it's not us it's another human being you know so there is this huge opportunity cost attached to sort of not sifting out or not doing whatever bare minimum you can do before that waste goes and progresses through the waste management process and there's a huge public health impact to that as well do you think i mean the work that you're doing when you're setting up facilities like this uh, material recycling facilities that's quite intensive and and what do you think scaling up looks like for you i mean what is the future of radhi connect and and are there any sort of supplementary initiatives that can help you and propel the work that you're doing yeah sure i mean so so yes i think we are a small piece of uh, the puzzle in solving the waste issue in uh, india and of course scale is something that we are certainly looking at and uh, but uh, in terms of what is next uh, our idea is that we've been working on uh, recovering this waste as a resource through the various channels and through the various stakeholders that we have we will be expanding our presence in terms of setting up more facilities so that there is a more infrastructure to actually manage this waste at one end and we will also be working largely with the informal sector because they actually manage more than 70 to 80% of our recyclable scrap in our country already so i mean formalization and giving them the dignity that they have been uh, that they should have essentially for all the work that they're doing is something that we will be looking at but our long term idea is to close the loop so essentially work with partners who can actually recycle this waste and uh, ensure that uh, we can actually make products out of it so we're doing small scale pilots where we've made uh, condensed boards out of these plastic waste we are using we have sent some material for plastics to road plastic to oil of course recycling paper and making new paper out of it and then making pads and stationery out of it as well so i mean that's the space that we are excited about you know where uh, we can actually recover this as a resource and convert that into uh, products which we can probably give back to the consumer or even uh, source it back to the brand so probably in terms of initiatives i feel that uh, if there are people that are working on uh, newer technologies to actually create more value out of this waste i think that would be really interesting for me to see because that's a space that has been growing a lot we've seen that a lot of organizations and a lot of new startups and uh, even uh, just kids out of school have been uh, trying to make something best out of waste in some way or the other and which is what is exciting i think there's so much that's happening in this space and which is what keeps me going as well you know i think there's more traction that has come up or more people actually at least that have been speaking about new technologies or managing their waste in the last say 2 to 3 years as compared to the decade put together you know so i'm pretty optimistic that even though there is it's not reached the place that we have but there are a lot of people that are doing this hmm. and you've had quite an interesting journey right because you passed your cfa and and you decided to forgo that very secure that very um, lucrative career path to become this modern day raddiwala and it's it's very interesting and i think it's also quite kind of unique and if you could talk a little bit about the challenges that you faced and and what was the sort of perception when you decided that you wanted to do this instead of whatever comes after a cfa 
So yeah, I mean, I think uh, initially when uh, when I started, when I was still pursuing my CFA when we did start Radhi Connect. I finished my level two, and uh, I was uh, doing it as a side thing while we were working on our while we were working in the project. But the initial perception was, you know, with my extended family, they came up to me and said that, "Bye, too. You're studying finance, and now you got into waste. What sense does that make?" You know, like uh, <laughs> it was quite. I was quite aptly nicknamed the Radhi Wala. the neighborhood you know where everybody would call me that so yeah i mean the cultural issue of people just you know it's uh, even our own extended family which was like why do you have to put your hands into waste and uh, that also brings us to the entire issue where uh, you know there's this one certain culture certain sect of the society that has been told or has been essentially they are the only people that actually manage our waste and uh, nobody else actually looks into it so those were the initial things that we got from our uh, extended family but uh, i think um, i'm fortunate enough that my immediate family was supportive in terms of what we were doing what we were doing and uh, cfa i feel was something that just adds value to what i'm doing right now i think that having the backing of uh, numbers and just financial knowledge in terms of how things work i think that adds a lot of value to what we do right now because the economics of recycling is very hard to crack uh, i mean how do you compete with the informal sector that pays no taxes that has no minimum wage rate that is probably downcycling this plastic that is being recycled and you'll see people essentially with a small 100 or 150 square feet shop who have set up a recycling plant within that i mean there is a small extruder and shredder and they're just doing it and uh, how do you compete with that you know so i think uh, Yes, it would be exciting for me to probably it would be it would be a secure job for me to go down the finance path and probably look at investment banking or you know go into portfolio management, which would be a more secure job. But that probably wouldn't uh, you know wouldn't wouldn't keep me excited enough. You know, I think uh, the the challenge of uh, just figuring this out and also the more that we've got into this, the more that I've got motivated to work in this space. You know, the more that I've been seeing in the last. year honestly i have traveled to multiple cities across the country and and the situation is just the same i mean it's not just the burning landfills of mumbai it's we see i went to agra it was it was the same hyderabad is also the same we're working in rajasthan jaipur which is pretty much the same so i mean it, it's something that we, somebody needs to take up right and i feel that the cfa just acts as a complementary skill for us to uh, you know be in this space because most of the people honestly that have been in the space are uh, not for profits that haven't been able to honestly uh, they're doing some great work it's nothing no 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 credit taken from them because we work with a lot of them as well and they're doing some awesome work in their own geographies but they haven't been able to scale and make this large enough to become a business and uh, i think that's what excites me and i think that's why i think cfa is complementary to what we're doing right now even though it would have been a safe choice of career that i could have taken but uh, i think using that skill to actually figure out how the financials of the recycling market or just uh, the entire ecosystem can work is more exciting than just uh, probably trading in stocks or just being an investment banker on the back side yeah definitely and who knows maybe you could be a decade uh, down the line you could be like an investor who uh, a climate investor you know or an impact investor as they're called who invest in other startups who are also trying to make a difference as a social enterprise or as you know sort of tackling the very pressing issues of climate crisis and i think that there's definitely a lot of scope with that so even if you've got this very 
sort of traditional by the book degree in finance or engineering or whatever else, you know, there's definitely a lot of skills that you acquire that you can apply to whatever off the beaten track you want to go on. No, absolutely. I agree. I think uh, it just boils down to what you really, what just keeps you excited and keeps you going, you know, at the end of it. And, uh, yeah. and, and it doesn't really matter what skill that you have or what degree that you have. Because I feel that I, I, my other option after doing my graduation was to probably go abroad and do my master's. And uh, in hindsight, I feel that it is a great decision that I've taken to not do it because having set up my own company made me in, in, in the social enterprise space or even if you're doing anything else, having set up your own company from scratch, I think you're learning a lot, lot more than, you know, what a master's degree can teach you as compared to doing it yourself or on the ground. Yeah, and not to mention, I think having done that, so I did, I, did, I have gone off and done a master's abroad, but I think you realize the value of doing something at a grassroots level only when you're sort of confronted by this very top-down view of policymaking or top-down view of any industry, essentially. I think when you are working at, um, with your own initiative or whether you've decided to go into a startup you learn so many skills and you actually understand the problem from a much more insightful and a much more meaningful space, I think. No, absolutely. I absolutely agree. I think, and probably another suggestion for people that are starting up is like, you know, I think it's not about, like you rightly mentioned, the top-down view that we generally have. It's actually not just that, you know, it's not simply if you want to start something, you sit in a room and make presentation, but it's actually going on ground. Like, even before we started Pradhi uh, Connect, we at least had about 10 months of research where we went and spoke to absolutely every person in the in the ecosystem, right? From, you know, waste pickers, we surveyed about more than 100 Radhiwalas, we spoke to uh, recyclers, we spoke to a few scrap mafias, if you can say so. And when you <laughs> go down deep into that ecosystem is when you really realize, you know, what's a... Uh, where the space is and what you need to get done you know if you just look at it from the outside it really is it, you really don't know much or you won't really find out much or you won't find out what exactly is the space that you need to get into or is even if there is a problem that you should is that is that you can come up with a solution for that's quite interesting that you spoke to scrap mafias what was that conversation like i feel like that in itself should be something that a series like sacred games should have covered where it's like oh look there's this Rahul Nenani, activist slash aspiring social entrepreneur talking to some Kachra king <laughs> in the bylanes of Mumbai. No, I mean, the Gaitonde character which he played in Sacred Games, was, uh, I mean, it, it gave me quite a good glimpse about how it works. But uh, for us, it was essentially when we were going down the neighborhood and we were talking to these people, we figured out why not go and see how these guys are working as well because eventually we need to figure out a way to probably improve what they're doing or you know a way to that just make sure that uh, like how they have been working doesn't happen in the future but essentially they did they, they were not giving us much information they said that why are you even doing this this is not going to happen it's not worth your time you know it's straight up discouragement that they put out fortunately we haven't been we haven't got any threats and stuff as yet but i certainly know for sure some ngos that have been working in this space for longer than us have got calls from these people and it also boils down to the the fire story at the devna dumping ground so some of them like i mentioned are man-made it might be just a tiff between two people there's two kachra kings essentially and he's got angry and gone ahead and just burnt his 
space down that stuff still does happen i mean it's uh, it's quite uh, it's i mean we wouldn't expect it but yes it's still happening behind the scenes and and i i feel like i think we should contextualize this for listeners who are perhaps non indian or non residential indians can you just sort of briefly say who these scrap mafia slash kachra kings are and and what is their business model <laughs> sure so i mean uh, if just to probably step back a little bit the entire shadow recycling chain that works in uh, our country has different levels of people that are there in it so i think the level 1 aggregators is uh, are the people that are essentially picking from the so these are waste pickers that are essentially either picking from the streets or from open dumps or open garbage bins or even from landfills so at the landfill once the waste just get the mixed waste goes and gets dumped there are people that actually go into these landfills and start scavenging for recyclables that they can take out and then they go ahead and then give it to us level 2 aggregator so if it is within the city you the raddi wala essentially become the level 2 aggregators who purchase this material from these level 1 aggregators who are essentially scavenging through the space and then the raddi wala goes and gives it to a level 3 aggregator who is essentially a small who has who's probably at the outside of a city and uh, they are uh, prob- they have some kind of uh, labor where they are sorting this or adding some value to this waste so essentially they do the sort for the sorting and then there's a level 4 who does the pre processing so either compressing it into bales or shredding it now the scrap mafia comes into the picture at the dumping grounds so the level 1 aggregators were essentially scavenging from these uh, dumping grounds have uh, are essentially have taken loans from these scrap mafias to start some kind of uh, living within the within the city and they 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 treat them as bondage labor you know like it's a really really messed up situation they are they are uh, not getting paid as much as they should they are not being treated in the right way and because the mafia actually has a great hold over these people because they are essentially lenders for the level 1 aggregator they have so much control over them that they just uh, i mean there is no way of uh, taking that out so um, even though the waste that we produce just disappears but there's so many people that touch and trash that actually go into managing that or even just get exploited into managing that itself so yeah the shadow supply chain which uh, leaving the scrap mafia aside i like to call them as the invisible environmentalists as uh, without them you know you think i don't think uh, any of this recycling that we have been doing would happen at all it and 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 what is the cost of it you know it is that at the cost of us not managing a waste that they are taking up the burden of uh, getting themselves in a position where they are probably getting contaminated or getting infected by this waste to just clean up our mess so which is why also is another reason where we have uh, where uh, an internal motor for our company is to actually work with the informal sectors these guys have been getting exploited for years and years and uh, and not have not been given the dignity for the work that they have been doing and our idea is that instead of just displacing these this ecosystem or keeping them in the existing ecosystem why not formalize them you know like any other industry they should have proper working conditions they should have their basic amenities of healthcare and uh, you know what government schemes that they are providing for so we we work quite heavily on that space where we actually start formalizing them open up their zero balance bank accounts so that they are starting they start becoming a part of the system you know but still they are not a part of the system there is no way to just find them or just even do anything good for them 
and the reason that they can be exploited is because they're not part of the system. If they were part of the system, they could actually get loans if they want to set up businesses or they can, they are, they, there's a lot of schemes that are available for them. So yeah, I think uh, the, the scrap mafias are, uh, they have been there for decades and have been there at different parts of the ecosystem, but largely working at the dumping ground space and uh, exploiting this the scavengers or the waste pickers that are working at the bottom level if that probably gives some context yeah i think that's great i think that's sort of summarized the darker side of that supply chain you know i mean i know that you use the term shadow supply chain but i think that the fact that there are entities that sort of profit off of this informal sector i think it's important to sort of talk about that beyond the bollywood lens of it you know no, absolutely. I think uh, so. If you just look at this value chain, the level one and the level two aggregators that actually do the maximum work and the maximum hard work, they get paid the least in the entire system. And uh, and then there are recyclers who are sourcing this material at a lower cost directly from the from the mafia or from these larger wholesalers who've been exploiting them. So um, yeah, I think they are the people that are actually benefiting from them, but. Uh, Largely, this happens because, you know, there is the... So, like, in the West, what happens is that there is a cost to dispose waste. There's an economic cost to actually manage your waste and which the government pays for. In India, there is no economic cost to dispose waste, right? Like, you essentially just keep it outside your house and it's done. There is no cost. You're not liable to make sure that it's going to the right place. So, in some way or the other, we need to have that as a system where we, where we start asking the right questions to... Not just the government, to also the brands who are producing all of this, right? At the end of it, who's who's putting this into the market? So, in some way, I don't want to say that somebody's benefiting out of it, honestly. But uh, you can see it yourself. You'll see where who's producing it and how they have been benefiting it, or where is it going to finally? Yeah, absolutely. And I also want to sort of talk a little bit about the issue of dumping that you brought up earlier on. And the growing issue of e-waste, for instance, you know, I mean, I know that up until 2017, China was accepting around 70% of the world's electronic waste. Vietnam and Thailand were also part of this. And in 2016 alone, the world's population discarded around 49 million tons of e-waste, which is, to give some context, around 4,500 Eiffel Towers. So can you just talk about what e-waste is and why have countries in Southeast Asia been these dumping grounds for e-waste? Oh, sure. I think uh, most of the e-waste that has been coming is coming from the West, even though now it is estimated that Asia is going to be the largest generator of e-waste. And uh, it just boils down to this consumption habit, right? And this linear economy that we're in. Right? We Essentially, every time there's a new iPhone or there's a new laptop that comes up, we just keep buying and consuming and consuming and consuming without really figuring out what's happening next. And with this China situation where they stopped the import of e-waste, they also did the same thing where they stopped the import of plastic scrap last year. And suddenly the entire world has woken up and realized that, okay, guys, China is not going to be the dumping ground of the entire world and we need to start managing it. But what has happened is that it's now moving to Indonesia and like Southeast, other Vietnam and the other countries that we're talking about. And of course, you, I mean, we already understand the ill effects of uh, e-waste being dumped and uh, what is happening to the environment or the people that are managing it. But it all boils down to essentially circularity, right? Like I feel... Uh, 
just the concept if we need to start reducing our waste the brands i mean and it starts it has to start with the brands where they have to start thinking about what would happen at the end of life of their product while they're designing it they are not thinking about it right now if they thought that the battery could be reused or refurbished while they were designing it and they actually collected it back into the ecosystem i feel that so much of the waste could be actually reused or maybe recycled and the amount of dumping that would happen would reduce so it's definitely small changes that you and me as individuals can make but it, honestly we are past that stage of small changes we need big changes to happen in this ecosystem and we need the we need the brands to own up to what they have been doing we need the governments to put the right policies and also to be able to implement them because i feel policies are being created every day but the implementation is something that we just don't see happening on ground so yeah i think uh, the e-waste issue is something that we have been seeing uh, for quite some time and it has been there and it's the same like the waste issue that we've been having that that's been there in our country or southeast asia for that matter of fact and the answer boils down to as consumers to consume consciously and for brands to figure out a way to manage their waste or just think about what would happen at the end of life of their product and through your partnerships with these various brands have you seen this sort of awareness emerge are they more proactive perhaps in sort of understanding the role that they play which is which like you said is is far bigger right because as an individual you can do composting you can do sort of everything right at your end and you will definitely have an impact and and we you know everybody listening i both of us i think uh, can speak for you here as well rahul and we will definitely encourage that but you're right in saying that there needs to be like a systemic shift as well there needs to be responsibility taken by huge organizations you know the unilevers of the world for instance and right. so have you noticed that there has been this shift in their understanding of what their responsibility is as compared to say 5 years ago in the last year or two years there has been a lot of shift and at least the talk towards moving towards a more sustainable or closed loop kind of an environment honestly it's the public pressure that has boiled these companies to actually take this decision you know with the so much with the so much bad press that's happening with the plastic pollution the oceans filling up with plastic the brands sooner than later had to take that call and uh, with uh, extended producer responsibility become mandatory in a lot of countries like ours in india as well we are at least seeing the brands to take the first step which is at least making sure that they are being responsible and paying for the collection and disposal of the plastic that they produce so like uh, you mentioned unilever unilever is all hindustan unilever is one of our clients and also along with that a lot of other fmcg brands have taken up the initiative to at least uh, collect the plastic from the different uh, cities or different states that they have been putting out which i think is just a small step in the puzzle you know i think uh, we need to start again when you start at the beginning when you start at at the time when they're designing the product i mean right now in most cases what brands are doing is that they design a product in terms of just delivering the product from their warehouse to you and then they then that's where it ends once you open that packet and finish the chips out that's where their work ends but that's where it actually needs to start and they need to start right at the designing phase where uh, brands need to start design for recycling just design for recycling and recoverability how do they make sure that their products once collected can be recycled into higher grade products or higher grade plastics 
highly recycled plastics which is a very small step that very few brands have taken up i don't think that has been taken up at a larger level i think there are few companies that are doing pilots in business model innovation where they're trying to recover they're trying to reuse the packaging or give it in reusable containers there are certain brands that have actually recovered some plastic waste and made products out of it but we need we needed to be a large industry shift and it can't be just one company it has to be an industry coming together and making that change you know where uh, where they first to start off with they start using recycled plastic in their value chain if there is no demand for recycled plastic to start off with there is not going there is no recycling that's going to happen today in india if you see that recycled plastic is actually a lower quality and an inferior product as compared to virgin plastic and is being downcycled more than being upcycled so when i say downcycled i think recycle of hdp bottles or hdp containers is being recycled back into low grade products which are being made into either buckets or pipes and things like that it is not being recycled back into the same quality of product again so where they need to start is by starting to make sure that they are, have a demand for recycled plastic and at the same time redesign their products to ensure that it can be easily recovered and easily recycled and for that like i mentioned it does not have to be one company but it has to be an industry that comes together because so so just to give you an example in terms of how this works if you have been in india and if you purchase any beverage bottle which is made out of pet they essentially all look the same right even if it's uh, it might be a little bit thin or thick but they look all the same maybe a pepsi or coke or bisleri or maybe any other product isn't that true bottle looks yeah. the same right but but the challenge that happens is that the bottle is made out of pet the cap is made out of pp the label now the label is either made out of pp or pvc with no standardization happening over there it creates a lot of challenge to just recover this plastic waste now they we there we can't have one brand to do it if it is all made out of pp it becomes easy for us to sort it and segregate it it goes into a it goes into a separation tank it becomes much much easier that way but because brands are just they choose to decide whatever they want to it makes a big challenge to recover this plastic waste so yes i think uh, we as individuals uh, have a very important role to play as well to start by doing our bit and also by starting to push the brands in the right direction or just start by asking the right questions or start by even using the the brands that are actually doing their bit so that they are incentivized to actually make sure that they are they are spending money into infrastructure and recovering this plastic waste and using and moving towards a more closed loop solution yeah and to that end can you talk a bit about some of the practices that you perhaps follow at home or you subscribe to as an individual whether it's purchasing from a certain brand or whether it is you know just practices like composting or segregating your waste if you could just talk a bit about what it is that you do as a person and you would encourage people listening into sort of get in on as well sure i mean so living in india and bombay i think we all have very hectic lives and uh, sustainability or managing your waste uh, essentially is always in the back foot it's not something that comes in the forefront while we're doing it so i mean um, for me i think it's just simple things it's very very simple things that i would say consume common consciously is one part so essentially if i don't need something don't get it if i desperate if i definitely need it make sure that i'm at least reading from where it is coming and where it is coming who's the brand behind it what are they doing 
because we understand that not everybody can afford to live a sustainable like can't go to a zero waste lifestyle and uh, have that extra expense to uh, you know live that way but at least you can make sure that you're picking the right products go local i mean that's the easiest thing our indian tradition has been instilled where we have been going to local markets to right from getting spices to vegetables or uh, even uh, you know reusing uh, going back back in the day and reusing our uh, bottle and bottles for milk for that matter of fact so just start consuming more consciously so if you have to buy something make sure that you're at least reading from where it is coming and then the other side is uh, just to dispose it off responsibly as well you know that's one part which we most which we often forget so yes if you if you can substitute your existing uh, existing stuff with the more sustainable alternatives so like if you can get rid of your plastic cups and containers and use reusable that's great but if in case you do or really have to use it then make sure at least it is going to the right channel and when i say the right channel it is there are lot of organizations across the country that are doing some great work and uh, you just it's a matter of you to just google them up or find it and find them and just make sure that it is being channelized to the right place so as a principle what i do is ensure that at least my recyclables are going to the right place also composting is something that uh, is a little bit of a task we've just moved houses uh, i was doing home composting earlier which is not happening honestly as of now but uh, yes it's the easiest way to at least uh, take your first step towards uh, going uh, zero waste i think uh, composting at home is no rocket science you can literally do it in a bucket at your house you need some culture to do so so that's one step that people yeah. can take also like you know just the simple simple swaps like you know get rid of everything but use a cloth bag i mean you, i i make sure that i have four to five cloth bags in my car at any given point of time so if i'm anywhere and i need to get something i don't need to get any of their uh, plastic bags or even paper bags for that matter of fact those are small steps that probably you can take you know yeah i think that's great and i think we should end it over there i'm so glad that you came on board to talk about radhi connect to talk about your journey to talk about the waste management cycle and i think it's been absolutely incredible learning so much as well because god knows i can't travel and speak to all of these waste pickers at this moment but yeah it's been great speaking with you rahul thank you so much and is there anything else that you'd like to add perhaps how people can sort of start using radhi connect for themselves yeah sure i mean uh, thank you firstly for sachi for having me and uh, i think if you want to use our service you can simply go on our website is uh, radhiconnect.com r a w d i connect.com we are on uh, also on all social media with the same name you can find us there with uh, regards to what are the new stuff that we are doing and um, yeah and as a closing note i would like to just say that just uh, be conscious in terms of what you're consuming i think that's something that i need to reiterate over and over again and we do this we the working on behavior change is something that is a very it's a big task for us that we've been constantly doing ask the right questions even if you can't switch something just ask the brands the right questions does that is that packaging really needed can it be changed into something because uh, we as consumers uh, have a very big role to play because if we stop buying a certain product i think the brand is going to more or less has to change to what we want so the way that i see it is that the same way that we're moving towards uh, organic foods and sustainable living i think we need to start picking more sustainable products as well so yeah i think that's my small bit that's great thank you so much for being here rahul really appreciate it yes thank you sanjeev
episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can find all the relevant links and handles to know more about our guest this week in the episode description. If you have any feedback, suggestions, requests, or simply just want to get in touch with us, then please do head over to our podcast website. We are available to flag and say hi to via Facebook, Instagram, or email. Thank you and see you next week.